my children are in my family, then I have the authority to say, this is how I want you to live. See, by, by the preacher saying that man's all is to fear God and keep his commands, he's saying, look, the only way to true meaning in this life is to have a covenantal relationship with God, that you become a member of his family. And listen, if you're a member of God's family, you may have wealth, you may have wisdom and all these things, but that's the only thing that makes this life make any sense. If you've ever worked in a job where you were able to use your skills, where you were valued and important, your self-worth may have been deeply rooted in that. But eventually, you realize you're replaceable, everyone is, and life moves on. Today, you'll hear about the hope in living for something greater. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, verse 36, with his continuing study entitled, Anyone Frustrated? We all preach a message to ourselves about ourselves, what our life is and isn't. Then you have the preacher of Ecclesiastes. He's going to tell us the way the world works. What it looks like for real. So you have this preacher. He's one of the kings of Jerusalem. So he's a kingly figure. And then verse 2 is rugged. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Now, what's unfortunate is when we think of the word vanity, you think of kind of like a, a self-pride at an attempt at beauty. Like when you think of someone who's vain, it's somebody who looks in the mirror and says to the mirror, you're having a better day because you're gazing upon me. We think of vanity as sort of like a self-pride and beauty, but the word vanity in the Hebrew is significantly more nuanced than that. It signifies absurdity, frustration, futility, nonsense, uselessness. So this preacher has a message of It's all worthless. It's all useless. It's all absurd. It's all frustrating. Vanity of vanities. Vanity of vanities. And then he says, all is vanity. Talk about a bummer, right? I mean, talk about a frustrating... Can you imagine if I started the sermon that way? It's all useless. Hopeless. It's a bummer, man. That's what he's saying. He's saying, life's a bummer. That's what he's saying. Now, you need to think about it this way. Is that this preacher is not the first person to talk about the absurdity or the uselessness of life. Listen to Psalm 39, verses 5 and 6. Listen to this. It says, indeed, you have made my days as handbreadths. And my age is as nothing before you. 
Certainly every man at his best state is but vapor. Surely every man walks about like a shadow. Surely they busy themselves in vain. He heaps up riches and does not know who will gather them. See, the the psalmist is saying, look, life is vain. You walk around like a shadow. Your days are like hand breaths. They're just, we have measured amount of time. That's why I wrote is, you know, how frustrating. Because you know know what's terrifying about this reality that life's frustrating? Is that if we search our hearts, we feel that, don't we? There's an aspect to human existence that totally feels useless. It's frustrating. It's just, yep, going around again, going around again. Where does this all end? What does it mean? Am I really doing something of any value? It's the kind of question that we don't really want to ask ourselves or have to deal with it because it's a little bit too challenging. How many of you are going to wake up tomorrow morning and think to yourself, this is all vanity, this is useless? How many? Go ahead, you can raise your hand. Nobody's going to think about, nobody thinks here about their job. It's okay. A couple of people are like, yeah, okay, yeah, I'm feeling that a little bit. You tell me all of you absolutely love what you do for a living? That's awesome. You're in the total minority, man. I'm with you, but it's like, there's a party that's like, really? This is it? This is life? There's an aspect that this preacher's got it right on. Why? Because notice what he says in verse 3. It's powerful. What profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? This is the whole premise of the whole book right here in verse 3. What profit? That word profit, it's a commercial term. It literally means what kind of a dividend does man get from all of his toil and labor that happens under the sun? What do you, what's the payback? What is the return on investment? For all the labor and toil, all the struggles of life, all the sweat off your brows, all the times you come home from your day and you feel emotionally and mentally exhausted, what does it get you? And it's all the days under the sun. That's this life that we're talking about. This is the life that you only live once. All the days under the sun. However many sunups and sundowns God gives you on this globe, this is a book about real human life. In a lot of ways, the preacher of Ecclesiastes is a classic empiricist. He's a scientist. He's observing the human experience. Human life. What does it look like? What does it get us? All the work that we do, what does it leave us? It makes you think of Jesus who says in Mark 8, 36, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Jesus is saying, what dividend, what return on investment does a person get if they gain the whole world and they lose their own soul? Do you really win if you lose your own soul? And that's the question here. And the whole book of Ecclesiastes is going to be unpacking all the different ways that this preacher, assuming that it's Solomon, attempts to figure out what the meaning of life is. 
Most people struggle to understand the book of Ecclesiastes because it's literally a book of the testimony of a person who says, I'm going to try everything in order to find what the meaning of life is. I know what the difference between Solomon or this preacher and you and I is that this king has all the means to try everything. And as we go through this book, we're going to find him trying wisdom. The accumulation of information and knowledge. That's a big thing in our culture, isn't it? We're blessed to live in an information-saturated culture. The commoditization of information. Each one of us pulls out this little machine in our pockets. What do you want to know about? It's right there at your fingertips. We're embarking in America on the most educated generation in history. I remember when I was growing up, my parents said, listen, you need to go to college. What's interesting is my father didn't go to college because he just heard you have to go to high school. Once you get a high school degree, you can get a good job. Now you got to go to college. Now, you young people, you're thinking about getting master's degrees, right? Because the average is college. Now, now you get a master's degree. You got to get a law degree or you got to get two and three master's degrees. Now, what's interesting is in a hyper-educated environment, does anyone feel really excited about my generation leading our country? (laughs) With all the education, what do we really have? We have information without true wisdom. Solomon tries wisdom. It's going to leave him hanging. Solomon is going to try pleasure. We're going to find out Solomon had not only hundreds of wives, but concubines, which were women who he was having relations with who weren't even his spouses. He had access to the finest food, the finest of art, the finest of everything. He experienced all the pleasure possible. He's going to find it's going to be lacking. Solomon's going to try wealth and power. How many people, if I just had a little more money, If I was just the decision maker, then I would be happy. Solomon is going to find, of course, that money can buy you all the things that money can buy, but not all the things that money can't buy. Things like meaning, joy, hope. For people of extraordinary means, they've learned that. For the rest of us, Normal folks, we still think that there's joy on the other side of a flush checkbook. Solomon's going to have more money than all of us could ever dream of. He's going to find out that all that wealth and all that power still vanity. We're going to find that he's going to find altruism or self-sacrifice for other people. Just being a good person is going to leave him hanging. And he's going to find that good old-fashioned religion doesn't get him there either. Being a religious person does not satisfy the vanity of life. But you know how this book ends, and I'm not going to leave you with a cliffhanger here. Listen to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. Last two verses. You can flip there if you want. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. He says, fear God and keep his commandments For this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. 
Fear God and keep his commandments. See, what Solomon or this preacher learns trying everything and having access to do everything he could think about in order to find meaning, he comes to fear God and to keep his commandments. For this is man's all. Now, you've got to realize, keeping God's commandments, you're like, well, I thought that's, isn't that old-fashioned religion? No. No. Because God gives his rules to those he is in relationship with. If I meet your children in the family room, they are not responsible to clean their room based on my directive. They are not responsible to eat their green beans because I tell my kids, you need to finish all those greens on your table. Even though I don't really do that to them, that's their mom's job. (laughs) Because my children are in my family, then I have the authority to say, this is how I want you to live. See, by, by the preacher saying that man's all is to fear God and keep his commands, he's saying, look, the only way to true meaning in this life is to have a covenantal relationship with God, that you become a member of his family. And listen, if you're a member of God's family, you may have wealth, you may have wisdom and all these things, but that's the only thing that makes this life make any sense. It's the only thing. And without it, everything will always be a nagging feeling of frustration. The reason maybe here in church, most of you aren't dreading waking up tomorrow is because you realize you don't do your job just for your paycheck. You do it as unto the Lord. And that changes the way we look at the futility of our jobs. See, the end of the matter is to have a relationship with the Almighty God, and that comes to us through Jesus Christ. And there are many of you in here today, you've never taken that step, and you feel all this frustration we're going to talk about. You feel it. It's real to you. It's on a street-level, heart-level for you. But the thing that this man finds, and he tells the world, and for thousands of years has been proclaimed, is that the only way to true meaning, the only way out of the hamster wheel of uselessness And vanity is to have a relationship with the living God. And that relationship, that relationship comes to you through Jesus, comes no other way. There was any other way to have that relationship. Jesus would never have had to die and be risen from the grave. It comes through Jesus. And that makes an absurd, seemingly meaningless, useless life the most beautiful, precious thing in the world. You'll have an opportunity by the end of this service to to make that decision. Say, hey, okay, I'm in. I don't want to be on the hamster wheel of uselessness, vanity, absurdity, meaninglessness. Now, for the rest of this chapter, we see three areas of frustration. Three areas of frustration. Let me show them to you. First, in verse 4, look at what it says. One generation passes away and another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. The sun also rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it arose. Verse 6, the wind goes toward the south and it turns around to the north. The wind whirls about continually and comes again on its circuit. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place from which the rivers come, there they return again. All things are full of labor. Man cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. So verses 4 to 8, we find that nature is frustrating. Nature's frustrating. 
Why? Remember I told you that this preacher, be it Solomon or whoever, is, he's an empiricist. He's a scientist. He's using observation of the world. And what he says is that life continues to go on in a cycle. First, it's one generation. One generation comes, passes away, and then another generation comes. There was a generation before us, and until the Lord comes back, there's going to be generations after us. And we have a certain amount of time here, but that cycle keeps going. It's funny, I was talking to my father about his experience when he retired from his job. My father had worked as a, in the IT department of a large company for a long time, and I remember he was, he was ready to retire. And so he retired. It was that time. And I remember he just thought to himself, man, I wonder what they're going to do without me. And so he retired on a, on a Wednesday and he needed to pick up some things in his office. So he went back to his office two days after he retired. You know what he found? There was a new name on the door. Someone had moved into his office and all of his stuff was in storage. Two days. And my father said, at that moment, I realized they moved on. I'm not needed. There's a new guy, new gal in that office. They had to go find my leftover stuff. Life goes on without me. That's the frustration that Solomon's getting. He's like, look, when your life is passed, there's going to be another generation that's going to come. They're going to pick up right where you left off. Isn't that frustrating when you build your identity on that I am that important? See, Solomon is getting at the reality that, there's a, that we're all specks of sand in the world. After your time is done, there's going to be another person who's going to step right on in. Do what you were doing. But when our whole identity is built on the fact that we are of infinite importance, and I'm not not saying that you're not, but Solomon's saying, look, one generation comes and passes away, another generation shows up, another generation gets at it. That's frustrating. Not only that, even though we are impermanent, because one passes away and another comes, Nature isn't. The sun rises and the sun goes down. It hastens to the place where it comes every single day. Sun comes up, goes down. The wind comes and goes. The waters from the river to the sea, back to the river to the sea. Everything runs on its cycle. Even us. Nature's frustrating that way. When you watch it, you realize that, hey, I can't find my meaning from this. I'm impermanent, but these things still go. It makes you think of Romans chapter 8, verses 20 and 21. Listen to the Apostle Paul. He says, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself will also be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. You hear what he says? He's saying, look, Creation, nature, is subjected to what? Futility. Vanity. Why? Because it's broken. But notice the Apostle Paul, with the revelation that, we, that he had of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit, he says, listen, but it's groaning and laboring until the birthing of the new kingdom. The people of God. And brothers and sisters, listen, when you look at nature, it's beautiful, but it also reminds you how small you are. But we have to realize that this is not all that there is. We have to temper the frustration and pessimism of our humanity with the reality that there is more to life than this go-around. 
that God is not finished yet. God's not finished yet. Verse 8, it's the perfect culmination to this. Because look what it says. All things are full of labor. Everything takes work. Man cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, and nor the ear filled with hearing. He's saying, look, in all of nature, our ears and our eyes are never satisfied. When was the last time you thought, I've heard enough? I don't ever want to hear anything ever again. No matter how much beauty you've beheld with your eyes, one of you said, I've seen enough beauty. I do not need my sight anymore. In all of this, there's a lack of fulfillment, a lack of satisfaction. So everything's frustrating. We find that nature is frustrating. Now look at what happens in verse 9. That which has been is what will always be. That which is done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it may be said, verse 10, see, this is new. It has already been in ancient times before us. There is no remembrance of the former things, nor will there be any remembrance of things that are to come by those who will come after it. So not only is nature frustrating, but in verses 9, 10, and 11, when we find out that history is frustrating, when you look back over your time, when you look forward to a future time, you find it's still frustrating. Look at what he says. That which is, been, is what has been will be. And that which is done is what will be done. There's nothing new under the sun. Do you realize that? Don't get me wrong. There's inventions and things, but there's truly nothing new under the sun. Don't think. And see, and this is a big problem, I think, in America in our kind of cultural elitist way that we see the world is that we think that we're the only ones who have ever thought these thoughts. That these ways that we look at the world, man, this has to be right. I mean, it's absurd to think any other way. You know what's funny? You have to always keep in mind, how many of you think your great-grandparents' views on things were totally absurd? Now, all of us, let's be honest. You guys who came through the 60s, you have no excuse. You got to raise your hand. You were undoing everything that they did. You're like, man, they are old school. You know what's amazing? You know what, the, you know what your grandkids are going to say? That you are off your rocker. All these phenomenal things that we think we know, that we think are right, that we think are important, that we're going to change the world in two generations. They're going to look at us and think we're all loco in la cabeza. That's what they're going to say. Because that's what every single generation has said about their elders. They just don't get it. So if everybody has always said they just don't get it, we need to trust that the next generation will think we don't get it. So what has been is what it's been. What's going to be is what's going to be. There's nothing new. We haven't had one new thought. Do you think we're the first? Do you think we're the first culture to give up our ideas of what morality is? <laughs> Read the history of the Roman Empire. Like people think, oh, this is, we're so conscious in this generation. We're so understanding of the world. No, we're just doing exactly what the Romans did. And when was the last time you met a Caesar? Jesus is real. In today's teaching, we discovered what happens when we put our self-importance in the wrong place. Spending years acquiring knowledge, performing a certain job, only to find that we're easily replaceable, life goes on. The preacher in Ecclesiastes recognizes that we're finite. 
and we can't find our meaning only in what we do here on earth. But as a child of God, we have a purpose in our relationship with Him that is eternal. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram have become a regular part of our everyday lives. And we want to be sure to encourage you to check out Pastor Daniel's Facebook page, Twitter feed, and Instagram. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow the links. Pastor Daniel shares two-minute video messages throughout the week on his Facebook page. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow Pastor Daniel. Next time on Jesus Is Real Radio, we'll find hope in the fact that we're not finished yet. In our frustrations with the wisdom we gain from the world and the lack of answers, we'll hear how to find true fulfillment. The task of humanity is burdensome. If we rest in that, we only find grief. Wisdom, pleasure, wealth, power, all of these things are a poor substitution as an end for life. But God's vision for who He wants us to be is a true motivation for living. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through the book of Ecclesiastes. That's next time on Jesus is Real Radio.